0: Hi, it's Jasmine, you know, that girl who did, you know what, way before the internet ever existed. Join me and my special guest every week as we talk about anything and everything, because nothing is too taboo. So punch your ticket and get on board the crazy train with me, Jasmine St. Clair. All aboard! Welcome to a new Episode of Crazy Train Podcast. As a lot of you know, one of my biggest loves in this world, aside from black cats um, and designer handbats, is heavy metal. I seriously think I was breastfed on metal, I'm not sure. But one of my favorite people in metal, and of course he does comedy because he's funny and everyone knows him mostly from comedy, is Don Jameson. So I decided to bring him on today and see what he's got to say about metal and comedy and just, you know, catch up. So enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for joining me today. I was waiting for this moment for such a long time because after I came on your show, I felt like our metal discussion wasn't even halfway done.
1: (laughs) Hey, so you've been waiting for such a long time. And then before we came on air, I was ranting and raving, screaming like a lunatic about having to download an app. Uh, So uh, sorry, (laughs) sorry to start off uh, badly, but uh, no one had to see that we're here now we're calm everybody's good
0: we're not really calm but i mean yeah That's we kind true. of are but no i get it like everything is an app a this or that it's like when does it stop like the madness does not stop and speaking of madness i have to bring this up because i grew up making prank calls like half my life okay um i used to hang out with a jerky boy, so we did that Tell me about the process that you guys did for your prank call show that you used to have uh, quite some time back. What, when you, uh, it was a, uh, Oh God, what was the name of that show? Um, Terrorzi- terrorizing telemarketers.
1: Yeah. Well, we've done seven, seven CDs of terrorizing telemarketers calls myself and uh, fellow comedian, Jim Florentine. And, um, you know, it just came out of, uh, you know, us driving a to gigs together and, and just, you know, doing that, messing with telemarketers just to entertain ourselves, to have something to talk about on the ride. And then one day the light bulb goes on and I was like, hey, man, we might be able to make some money doing this. Like you, I was a huge fan of the Jerky Boys and all kinds of prank call stuff. So we just started, um, you know, telemarketers are a great um, target because everybody hates them. You know, everybody from eight to 80 hates telemarketers. So, um, you know, and the thing is that it's all incoming. So, like, you're invading my world, you know, you're going to have to uh, put up with our nonsense.
0: I can only imagine. Like, what, what's the longest time you've had a telemarketer on the phone that actually played into your bullshit <laughs> or whatever you were doing? <laughs>
1: um, we got uh, on the newest, um, on the newest um, volume, which is volume seven, we have a, a song uh, at the end, uh, a song, a track at the end that's 19 minutes long. And it's like it's I would give this guy a degree in psychology. He like he broke Jim and I down mentally so precisely and with such skill. He should have a, he should have a master's degree in psychology after this phone call. I mean, he he got into our brains deep and it's such a long, funny, dark call. And uh, it's one of my favorites.
0: Yeah, I have to listen to these now because I love prank calls. Um, I think all of the fun for me ended when we threatened to, uh, when we called the FBI and told them there was a bomb in the building and stood like <laughs> right across the street. My mom kind of like, she, I wasn't allowed to hang out with the jerky boys anymore. Well, they weren't the jerky boys then, but it's in the making. Yeah. Um, prank calls are a really good way to pass the time, guys. By the way, if you do a prank call, just make sure if you're taping it, the person knows they're being taped. So there are no uh, legal issues. Clearly they're calling you. So yeah.
1: So, yeah. Yeah, but So if they technically, if they call in, we don't need their permission. So we could sort of go as crazy as we want. Now, we couldn't we can't say there's a bomb in your building. You know, times are a little sensitive, especially these days, uh, talking about bombs and stuff and the FBI. But, um, you know, we just we just we just try to come up with a a, a loose premise. Like this 19 minute call is just called it's called fiance and it's It's me kind of admitting on the phone to the telemarketer that I cheated with Jim's fiance, And then Jim gets on the phone, and we we sort of get into it, and we wrap him up into our world. And you never know where they're going to go because you never know how the people are going to react. Some people just hang up. Some people buy into the premise as long as you keep a, as long as you stay in character the whole time they'll stay on the phone if you don't curse they just have their script in front of them and they just know i got to get through this somehow even if i got to deal with these two idiots this guy cheated on this one's fiance um you know we've done a million different premises over the years but um you know you always stay in character that's the most important thing kids
0: Yeah, I think you've given me a new something new to do to telemarketers, but I just don't understand how to tape the phone call. So that's my next step of technology. And uh, I'm not going to come up with my own tapes. I just want to engage and see what it sounds like after and what I can come up with as well. Um, What is it about heavy metal and comedy that go hand in hand? Because I'm studying mullet culture and everything that goes with mullets (laughs) and then heavy metal and comedy
1: yeah well i'm you know my haircut so i just go in and say give me two weeks from the mullet um you know i still have a i still have a soft spot in my heart for for the 80s I'll probably forever be stuck in the 80s um but as far as the connection it's so natural you know i mean think about some of the the funniest you know some of our favorite musicians are the funniest people in the world you know Lemmy you know, who you knew, you know, so much better than I did. But, God, what a great wit. What a great sense of humor and so smart. Um, You know, the the late, great Pete Steele from Typo Negative, you know, always that real dry, uh, dark, self-deprecating humor. Alice Cooper always with a great story. That's a big punchline at the end. So, you know, uh, know, David Lee Roth, like, you know, the guy was a complete jokester showman. Um, So, A lot of my inspiration as a comic came actually from musicians just as much as comics.
0: How did you meet Jim
1: Florentine? Um, At a Rub and Tug um, on Route 35 in (laughs) Jersey. And um, Eddie was the one doing it. So that's how uh, Eddie Trunk, and that's how we all did that metal show. But um, (laughs) I met Jim because I was a fan of his comedy. Um, Somebody introduced us at a... A Christmas party in the city, and he had long way long hair. I had way long hair back then, and he's like you guys you guys like the same things you guys like metal comedy and strip clubs you guys should meet so that's how we met, and we we really have become you know long lost brothers um over the years, and he's been my comedy partner now for twenty five years, so um you know it's awesome, and we still like the same three things
0: basically which are metal comedy. And booze? No, sex? Strippers? Porn? Well, yeah, they're not so much strip clubs
1: anymore, but yeah.
0: Okay, yeah, I, I'll buy that. I, I know exactly while. what they are, huh?
1: No, I know you know, but just not as much anymore. But um, yeah, now now we're like now we're more into invest investments and stuff, but that's too boring to talk about.
0: Actually, I love talking about investments. Believe it or not, because every like every day I am a nerd. I go into my Merrill Edge account, right? Then I have a, a stock account over in Scandinavia. That's where my main IRA is, and I go into that. Then I'm trying to do this whole thing with gold, but you can't do it unless you have $10,000 as a minimum.
1: Why is your huh? money in Scandinavia? Is it safe over there? Cuz I lived there
0: for so long for my black metal dealings.
1: Oh, but I mean, <laughs> yeah. is your money safe over there?
0: Uh, that would be Malta.
1: Malta. Okay. All right.
0: It's no longer the Bahamas. It's no, I could do, I could do a Swiss account if I wanted, because I have a European passport, but uh, you could do Malta. Um, and there are other places in the uh, British um, West Indies. Uh, <clears throat> I'm not giving out advice on how to stash money at everyone. I'm just telling him as a friend, other things, but do not follow my advice. No, but uh,
1: but I, but I want to talk to you. I want to find out where to hide a lot of money. But we'll talk about it after.
0: What's your bank? What, just give me your bank account information. I will hide it for you myself. I, I will I'm gonna e- I
1: email it as soon as we get off the uh <laughs> <Yes.
0: FDR. laughs> Louis Vuitton. What's this?
1: Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah. But I did follow your career on that metal show. What was the first, because in the middle of it, by the way, what was the first band that you actually interviewed? And were you nervous? Did you have any kind of reaction towards it? So if you're looking for the safest and coolest way to bet online and the most variety, of course, of games and like almost anything you could bet on, stop by betonline.ag because I guarantee you there is something for everyone.
1: No, nah, I wasn't. I, you know what? It's. It's. I never was uh, like starstruck by anybody. I, of course, I. you know, a lot of these people become friends and I'm still in awe of them as, you know, these amazing artists and talented people that they are. But now nah, I just I I just was always um, like it's ex- just excited. You know, I just thought like, you know, here I am on TV with two of my best friends talking about the only music I ever loved and I'm getting paid for it. And I'm getting to meet all my idols from from my childhood. Um, you know, the only guy that I always tell people, the only guy that I just, I didn't care if he ever knew who I was. I just didn't want to upset him was Lemmy because he's my hero. So I didn't care if he knew my name. I didn't care if he ever, I just didn't want him to not like me. So I just stayed very professional the first couple of times he came on. And I think because I didn't, I wasn't, you know, on his jock the whole time that he did take a liking to me and he was always kind to me over the years. Um, but other than that, you know, just meet, meet, meeting a lot of these guys, as you know, they're, they're really down to earth. I mean, Alice Cooper, you know, 75 years old, still out there touring, still performing at a high level. And the guy's as humble as can be every time you meet him and you talk to him. So they, they put me at ease, you know, more than I, you know, than I could.
0: Well, who are some of your idols besides Lemmy? Because Lemmy's God. Well, that's true. Yeah, he's a, he's another
1: stratosphere.
0: But um, yeah,
1: I mean, for sure, you know, Alice. Um, you know, we had Ronnie Dio, Geezer Butler, Bill Ward uh, on from Sabbath. So you know, that was big. I remember coming out of my dressing room, and Bill Ward was just standing in the hallway by himself, and he's like, he's like, "Hello, Don, how you doing?" And I'm like. I- I- he knows in my mind, I go, how does he even know my name? Like, why would Bill Ward know my name for any reason? That's insane. You know, I've been a fan since I'm a kid. Um, and of course, Kiss, you know, Kiss was the first band I ever loved. So, you know, I hold those guys up there, too. And they're they're super fun to to poke fun at. But the truth is, without Kiss Destroyer in my life, I, I you know, I would have never sort of found my way in the world of hard rock and metal.
0: What's the first show that you went
1: to? first hard rock or metal show was uh, Asbury Park, I live here in Jersey, um, it was uh, Iron Maiden opening for Judas Priest at really? the convention center, yeah, uh, that was, wow. Iron Maiden was doing the Killers tour, Priest were out on the Point of Entry tour, and I was actually a little bit more of a Maiden fan back then you know, because I really got into the imagery of, you know, Eddie on the front cover of those first two albums and everything. And then when I saw Priest, then I was completely converted. And then, you know, after that, it was off the rails. Then it was into, you know, Ozzy and everything else. You know, anything heavy I could get my hands on. But that was the first one. And Jim and Eddie from that metal show, my co-hosts, were also at that show, but we didn't, none of us knew each other back then. But that was all kind of our first metal show.
0: I'm trying to think like back then what the ratio is girls that went to shows and guys, if it's like still the same, because you don't get a lot of girls at the shows these days, like not a lot of the death, at least the death metal shows. I don't see that many women. It's like 40, 60. What was it at that? What was the demographic?
1: Well, I was a teenager back then, but yeah, I don't <laughs> think it's changed that much. Jess And I mean, you know, that's why you started, that's why I had to start going to see poison and bands like that and winter. Cause I'm like, I don't, you know, these aren't my favorite bands in the genre, but, you know, at least women come to these shows. So, um, and they still do, you know, see, you go to, you go see Winger and you, you know, you recognize, you know, a woman you had sex with 25 years ago.
0: (laughs) They're still recognizable after 25 years. Yes. Going to Priest was amazing. Like seeing them, I was at, uh, in Long Island, but you just see the the age gap. And I ran into a guy there I met at Megadeth like years ago in the '90s. I didn't recognize him. You know, he recognized me. I'm like, dude, what happened? But then I realized, oh shit, we're like thirty, forty years later. Okay, sorry. I know that's pretty rude. Uh, I can help myself.
1: <laughs> no, some, so some people, some people, you know, well, you. you and I are aging like fine wine. Not everybody what ages like that
0: exactly without the mullets too like did you even have a mullet
1: yeah i i kind of did yeah and and i made it i made it the front cover i have a a stand-up comedy album called um communication breakdown and it's literally my college yearbook photo and my nieces and my nephew were it was at my parents and they were looking through it and they took a picture and they sent it to me and they're like ha ha you have funny hair uncle donnie and and I go, you know what? That is a pretty funny picture, and I made it one of my album covers. So I, I,
0: I put it out there in the world. You know what I
1: mean? Business in the front, party in the back. Let's go.
0: <laughs> it's like I don't think people understand mullets. It's not just a haircut; it's a way of life. You know, like you have to know what they they hang out in parking lots with midriff types on, drinking like PBS. Oh uh, no, no, PBR. Pet PBR. Is that what they drink? Yeah. yeah. So it's a certain lifestyle that goes with the people. So it's not just your stupid, fancy, schmancy, $200 haircut that you hipsters wear, let alone your retarded, like, Hot Topic shirts. That is my biggest pet peeve. Do you ever get teed off about that when you see people with a band shirt? They have no fucking clue what one song is off the album.
1: Uh, you know, I, I, it doesn't really bother me because, you know, Jasmine, you know, our our world of music has so many ebbs and flows in it. You know, like some bands are up here for a long time and then they're, boom, they're down playing the clubs again. And then they rise and they, and the whole scene, I mean, you know, there's not many bands like Metallica who have just stayed at the top. So you know what, if Drew Barrymore wants to wear a Megadeth shirt, I got, you know, I got to let that go. If Kim Kardashian wants to wear a Cradle of Phil shirt, Uh, So be it. I I, I really can't get that upset about that. It's funny to me. It's like, I know you paid $300 for that at Fifth (laughs) Avenue, you know, but I still have the original one that I bought for 12 bucks when I was, you know, 21.
0: Well, what, I still have my jerseys. What jerseys do you remember that you still have?
1: You mean like, um, like concert shirt jerseys? Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I don't know if I, I don't know if I
1: have any. The only, the only jersey I have is the Marth.
0: You still have, well, I thought it's not really, well, it's not a collector's item yet in 10 more years, maybe, yeah. or 20 more years. What's the oldest concert shirt that you might have still?
1: Oh, I, I know exactly what it is. It's, what is it? It's, um, Charlotte and the Harlots at Lemores in Brooklyn, which was Iron Maiden, playing as, you know, under the name Charlotte and the Harlots, because... You know, after they did a couple tours with Priest in America, they put out Number of the Beast. They got huge, and they were going out on their own arena tour, and they picked Lemore's to do their warm up show um, as Charlotte and the Harlots. And I still have that shirt. I mean, it it barely you know covers you know my my chest now, but I, I somehow I fit into it back then. Um, but yeah, that was got to be 1983 two. Three, I guess, um, Number of the Beast was out. So I love that one. And I, and I love that somehow without social media, without the internet, without cell phones, this long-haired, beer-drinking fool at going to uh, college at Rutgers University found out that Iron Maiden was playing under a different name <laughs> at a small club in Brooklyn. And of course we went. So, you know, with all the social media, like back then the word of mouth was just as good.
0: Yeah, well, we did a lot of this back then. We had our pagers, but we also talked to each other and told each other, hey, well, you know, Charlotte and the Harlots going to be playing at Lemoore's or at Streets. What was the club in Jersey? That's like the first time I saw Lizzie Borden was in Jersey at a club in North Bergen. Do you remember which club that was?
1: Uh, North, was it, um, Connections? Um... I'm trying... Oh, um, I can't think of the name. It's, I think it's the place where Metallica first played with, like, Raven and Wasp. Yes. Uh, Showplace? The Showplace?
0: The Showplace. Yeah. yeah. Lizzie Borden played there, like, years later. Back then, the clubs were so much more fun than, like, what we had. We don't have metal clubs anymore like we used to, which kind of sucks, except for Duffs. What were you doing before any of this? Were you working as a waiter? Were you working in a strip club, a rub and tug?
1: <laughs> We're back to the rub and tug. No, I, but I'm gonna I'm gonna consider th- those uh, those occupations for post comedy for sure. Um, but no, I never. I you know I, I had a great job. I was working behind the scenes at MTV as a um, as a segment producer and a writer. So I actually had a creative job um, that was really fun for a lot of years until MTV started to go off into the reality world. And was obviously way less about music. And I was starting to do stand-up, you know, on, my, on the side anyway. And I just got to a point where I'm like, hey, you know, I, I, think, I, can, I think I can make a go at this and, and possibly make a living. And so, I, you know, I finally broke away around 2000, 2001 and been doing stand-up, you
0: know, ever since. And what's the shittiest job you've had? Or nine to five, I should say. I, ne- <laughs> I never had one. I never really? had a 95
1: job. Yeah. I mean, just when I was in college, I, you know, I cut grass and I worked in a nursery, I, you know, I drove a truck, I, you know, but those were, those were just, you know, I don't consider them, sh- those were jobs just to have money, you know, to, for beer money. You know, those weren't occupations.
0: <laughs> so it was many to be a degenerate. I get it. I get it. Totally get yeah. it. Understanding. What was one of, what do you think some of your favorite album covers were from that era? And not necessarily the Mark Weiss album cover, just <laughs> his, he did have the Hottest Girls on his covers though. Uh, what were your favorites? Why? Did you do one of them? I wish, like if I ever, wa- if I was, I was underage, dude, I did want to be the girl on that Slaughter cover though. I wanted a photo just like the, with the wheel. That's the only album cover I ever wanted to be on or a Slippery One wet. Yeah.
1: But have you, have you been on some? You must've. Me? Yeah.
0: I've done a couple, but not at that time, because then my parents would have to sign off on it, and they wouldn't have done that. I was able to sneak in a motorcycle magazine, though, when I was 14, uh, 15. But um, no, I didn't. I did music videos, like a couple in Europe, but that's it. I wasn't one of the Mark Weiss girls.
1: Right, yeah, no. Mark lives like five minutes from me here in Jersey, so I know Mark very well. But um, And yeah, he's done some amazing covers. But um, yeah, one of them is, yeah, one of them, really had an an impact on me, which was Twisted Sister, Stay Hungry. You know, Dee in his full, you know, regalia and with the bone and everything. (laughs) You know, those are always my favorite bands, the ones with the image. So like I said, Iron Maiden. I I I was staying with my aunt and uncle in in Yonkers for the summer and I went to the record store. I picked up Iron Maiden Killers. I didn't even know what it sounded like. I just saw the artwork. I said, I gotta have this. So that one to me had, you know, other than Kiss Destroyer, that's the one, that's the big one because I'm like, these are superheroes, they're rock stars, they're comic book characters and when you're 11, there's nothing better than that, right? So, um, although, you know, those are the, the, the three that really have had a big impact on me. Of course, Alice Cooper, you know, again, anybody visual, you know, I just really, you know, I always said I would always get my eye to the album and then I'd take a chance with it, bring it home and listen to it and, you know, if I spent my my... Long, you know, cutting lawn money on on an album. You know, I was going to listen to it a bunch of times and like trying to drill it into my head. You know, it's not like now you could just download something and go listen for ten seconds. And go, I don't like it. You know, back then, or Motorhead, Bomber. That was another one when they saw the Bomber up there and 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 Filthy and Lemmy and Fast Eddie in there, uh, all that stuff. Man. And it's still those are still my favorite albums.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's working with music and comedy. I think that's got to be a complete dream, especially music of all things, because we all grew up liking something. and you get to interview your um, your idols. Did you ever have a bad experience on your show with any of the bands that you had on? Because we've all had at least once. Uh, at least once it's happened. Yeah.
1: No, I mean, you yeah, <laughs> know Mar- Marilyn Manson is the one that always comes to mind. But but you know, I preface it by saying. I'd rather have Manson as he is. I don't want shiny, happy Manson. You know, I, w- I want the dark lord uh, to come on, you know? So, and he did. I mean, you know, he came on one time uh, and we used to tape, we used to tape two shows. And the first show was at noon. He was on the show we were taping at noon. So he showed up about 11 in the morning and he's drinking a bottle of absinthe. He's already annihilated drunk. So, um, you know, we get him out to the set and and he brings the bottle of absinthe down. He puts it on the table on the set. And uh, my producer comes over and goes, "Uh, hey, you know, we can't have that out here. But, you know, we'd be happy to put it in a a cup for you or whatever. So he's like, oh, okay." And so they ask the P.A. to get Manson a a cup, cup. And she comes with one of those styrofoam coffee cups and he pours the absinthe in and the cup disintegrates instantly. That's what he was drinking at eleven in the morning. Can you imagine what was going on in his stomach?
0: Yeah, I want, Did he eat? <laughs> I wonder because you can't have that on an empty stomach. There's no way.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I, he probably had not been to sleep from the night before. I'm guessing, but so he was always a handful when he came on. But again, that, that's him. You know.
0: What made you guys stop that show, or what made you like you're not? He still has that show on radio, right? He has the Eddie Trunk Show. But what happened to your show when you had it on TV? How did that come to a screeching halt?
1: Well, the network went away, VH1 Classics. Yeah. So that's, no- that's pretty much it because, you know, we were on 14 seasons and um, we were gearing up to do a, a 15th. And, you know, they said, oh, we're going to sell the network. So, I mean, we know how to get a show canceled, right? You know, we don't just get rid of the series. We take down the whole network with us.
0: Yeah. Like, why not? Speaking of cancel culture, <laughs> do you think that cancel culture really plays a huge role in your stand-up routines when you do them?
1: Uh, not really. I mean, I'm not, I'm not famous enough to, for people to take a shot at me. You know, the minute you start selling, you know, 5,000 tickets and everybody starts sc- scrolling through your social media, gl- listening to your old albums and picking stuff out of there, you know, so I, I don't really face that. Plus, a lot of the triggered people they stay home now, which is good. They don't really come out. Like I don't get walkouts that much, you know. And you know, I'm you know, I keep things edgy, you know, because that's what's fun for me. Um, and the the crowds that come love it. All the all the all the biggest comics now are edgy comics. You got Rogan, Bill Burr, uh, Chappelle. So you know, all all these comics who are edgy are, are making tons of money. Um, and I think the, the crowds wanted that back, especially after COVID. They're just like, say anything. We just we just want to be entertained, and all and all the wokesters, you know, <laughs> they tried for a couple of years before COVID to 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 you know, douche all the edgy comics out, and then they kind of realized, ah, we lost this battle. I'll just stay home and look at my Twitter feed and get angry.
0: Yeah, I remember that Chrissy Mayer just had her incident like a few months back with a dylan mulvaney joke and i don't think she got canceled but i know enough people made a big stink about it and i don't know if she was canceled from that club i just know that she had some issues after that just because of dylan mulvaney or whatever which we all have our opinions on um is there a difference between edgy and something that could be considered cancelable if that makes sense I, i just say
1: edgy in the sense of like you know you just don't you don't um you know, you're not going to play by their rules that that, you know, that's, you know, my whole, you know, I got a new comedy album coming out in the spring and uh, and I do all my comedy albums on Metal Blade Records, by the way, yeah. which is such another such a thing I'm proud about in my life, because to have my albums come out on a metal label to me is, is the coolest thing, especially that label. Um, but um, you know they're not going to censor me you know they got bands like cannibal corpse and <laughs> 6 feet under so that you know they are not going to ask me to tone down my comedy but um yeah i don't you know i talk about all this stuff in it like i make fun of all the the you know the pronouns and and the, and trans and this and that and you know but i don't i'm not doing it to attack anybody i'm i'm doing it i want everybody i make fun of i want that come to the show, I want them to laugh. We should laugh at the absurdity of this world we live in, all these new words and phrases we're supposed to use, you know, and, and, you know, as the Brits say, I take the piss out of all that stuff, but I hope I do it in a funny way because I've had all those people come to the shows and they've all laughed, you know? Anything political, I take sort of right down the middle, you know, so I don't split the audience in that way and I don't try to turn the audience off, but these are things we got to talk about, you know? every day you wake up and put on the news and you, there's 10 new things that make you crazy.
0: Yeah, that's about right. That's why I try not to watch it at night. I I do it in the morning when I get up, right? Then I get amped up. I take a break. Then I go back in the evening and do it and get amped up even more and then get into one of those Twitter spaces. And I love doing those. It's so much fun because you get the rainbow haired mafia you get everyone going in there attacking you and it's just such a, such a great way to go to sleep. I love it. It's like, I live <laughs> for this. stuff. I really do. <laughs> I sneak onto Twitter spaces and I'm like, I hope no one knows where I am right now and what I'm doing and what I'm saying. but it's like out in the open. I really don't care. Uh, so moving right along um, metal blade records. That's a big label. That's King diamond cannibal corpse. Metallica uh, Slayer was on there. And yep. Brian's done a lot for everyone in the metal community. Um, what do you think you'd be doing if you weren't doing comedy or metal your show I, just something creative like I probably would have stayed at m t v for
1: a while and then and then maybe went off and did, you know tried something else you know behind the scenes, maybe in television or whatever but um yeah i didn't i don't know i didn't really i didn't it's you know sometimes good if you don't have a backup plan you know when I started doing stand up you know i'd saved up i I saved up for amount of money i thought was all I needed to, you know, get me going in stand up. So I won't make a lot of money at the beginning, but I got this nest egg and that was gone within six months. So then you really, it's like, Oh, I, now I really got to take this seriously. So, um, you know, I just, I didn't, I just sort of, you know, I just jumped in the deep end and went for it and really didn't, I haven't looked back yet cause it's 24 years now and, still going so and and i'm not a household name and i'm and i'm kind of okay with that
0: so nowadays it's really questionable about where our meat is coming from with people like bill gates and everyone else screwing up our farm produce so i decided to try my freeze-dried beef because it's the freshest beef ever at freedomfirstbeef.com. If you go to freedomfirstbeef.com, they have freeze-dry 100% organic beef and put in the code Jasmine, J-A-S-M-I-N, for 15% off. Okay, I bet to differ, but that's just me. What do I know? Uh, So do you have a backup plan or are you one of these people that thinks, okay, if you have a backup plan, that that doesn't mean you really want to be doing this and you're not focusing your all on it?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, you know, during COVID, that that, yeah, that was so scary just for that alone, which is what's what if we, I don't get to do this anymore, what what will I do, you know? Um, I do like writing, you know, I've written for other comics, I've written for TV shows and stuff, so I, I could always go back to doing that, but the thing that was missing when I did that was the performance aspect, you know, that, that immediate reaction performing live, for better or for worse. 'Cause not, you know, every night not every night is, you know, crushing at Madison Square Garden. But um, you know, hopefully the longer you do it, the less bad days you have. So I don't know. You know, I'm fairly intelligent. I could do something. I actually liked working with my hands when I was a kid, you know, working at nurseries and, and doing landscaping and uh dr- I drove a moving truck and I I don't I don't mind a little hard work. So um I'm a little too old for that now, but um yeah, I'd try, find something something creative where I could I could write and use my brain.
0: That's good. I like hearing that. Okay. COVID really put a scare into a lot of us. I had a one-woman show around that time that got the rhythm going and everything was going smoothly. Then all of a sudden, this thing. So it just left a lot of us with this uh, uncertainty in our future. What was the first time like for you doing stand-up? Did you have yeah. that feeling that your heart fell to the ground or what... <laughs> you expect people to laugh at you, boo you? I
1: didn't. I had no idea, Jasmine. I mean, I was <laughs> like, I—I I just knew I wanted to try it. Because if I didn't, I said, if I don't do it once, you know, then what a loser! Like, what? I want to try this. If I and I put I'm on my deathbed, and I I didn't and I I didn't even try it. Like, I would, I would, my life would be a waste, you know, Um, whether I continued or not. And yeah, the first set was not great. I probably got like four mercy laughs, but that was enough. You know, it was like, you know, I got that, that dopamine rush and and that was all I needed to at least get me to do it a second time. And, you know, I probably got another four mercy laughs and, you know, (laughs) now I get six mercy laughs.
0: I think you get more than six mercy laughs a night. And they're not mercy laughs, by the way. I just couldn't imagine what it's like going up there. Plus, I think the thing with stand-up comedy is people go to, like, the comedy store. They go to the laugh factory. They see, like, just one thing about New York City. And tell me if I'm wrong. I have this thought, because I live on the east side there. Every woman over the age of 40 is a fucking stand-up comic. You know, what is it at that age that these people do that they want to be a stand-up comic, like past 40?
1: Well, I think they're, you know, um, maybe they've worked in the corporate world or they've raised kids and now the kids are grown up and, you know, and they've flown the coop. And, I mean, listen, there's nobody who knows about reinventing themselves more than you do. So, I, you know, I think there's part of that spirit in what, you know... In what they're doing, which is like, oh, the kids are out of the house. I've always wanted to do stand up. Now I can do it, and I got, you know, I got a whole, you know, wealth of material from my life, you know, up until now. And let me go out and, and give it a try. So, um, I yeah, I guess, um, yeah, I think I really never noticed that, but I think you're right.
0: Yeah, because my friend owns a comedy club. It used to be um, Danger Fields or something. They're reopening in January and. Oh, cool. You know, just made that observation, like going there and looking at this. I walk out, by the way, when I have these shows, because the problem is when you people, some of you people, meaning the younger generation go up there telling your dick jokes. It's really annoying when guys do that, you know, and then you get girls talking about, oh, my uncle raped me. No one raped you (laughs) because you're fucking gross. You're annoying. I hardly doubt your uncle raped you. Maybe maybe like stuck a stick down your throat because your voice is annoying. I don't know. But it's just too many of those jokes go on. How do you make your jokes funny or something that makes someone want to sit there and listen to them? Do you have a formula?
1: It's point, it's all point of view. I mean, it really is. I mean, we we all talk about the same dozen things. We talk about our relationships, we talk about our childhood, we talk about our parents, we talk about, you know, our everyday life. And so, and they, you know, it all intersects. It's just, what angle are you coming from? that makes it different. You know, obviously I wrote a ton of stuff during COVID, but it was all about COVID and you know, 99% of it wasn't had no point of view, but there was nothing else to write about. Cause you we weren't doing anything. And I ended up throwing, you know, like I said, 99% of it away. And I just kept a couple things that were real specific to me. And that's the key to doing it. You know, if, if 10 people go up and they're going to tell jokes about politics, well, there's only one president at the time. And so you, what which way are you going to tackle it that everybody else has not um and that's really that's the key to it that's why ai will never take over what we do because ai could i could say write write me 20 jokes about you know whatever you know social media and it could do it but it'll oh it'll never be that funny because it's not it doesn't It's not coming from my point of view. It'll just be generic. Same in music. You can't write. You could use it to help you, but you'll never replace human emotion and feeling.
0: That's very true. And imagine if some people, like a few comics, used AI on the same night to do jokes, and they all walked up there with the same jokes over and over. What was it like working with Andrew Dice Clay? I read that somewhere. Was it true?
1: Yeah, I mean, he's still one of my he's still one of my closest friends. Um, I did like, yeah, ten years on the road with him, and it was unbelievable. I mean, the guy, you know, he's my favorite comic of all time, and again, the fact that he even liked me or you know even thought one of my jokes was ever funny is still you know is amazing to me. And um, yeah, he it was just it was so fun to go up in front of his crowds because if you could score in front of Dice's crowds. You could you could play for anybody because his crowds, even, even you know, past his heyday, they're still Dice crowds. You know, they still want you, to, you know, they're ready to, like, pounce if you're not funny. And, you know, the first couple of years I opened for Dice, I literally run to the mic because I didn't want, you know, if I let one person yell out, you fucking suck, the set's over before I even say a word. So I'd run out there, grab the mic, get the first couple jokes out, get a few laughs. Then I could settle down and ease into it. And he would crack up on the side of the stage watching me. He goes, you run right to the mic. I go, I go I, I'm not like you. I can't, like, take five minutes lighting a cigarette, having a drink of water. Like, I got to open for you. You know, it's your crowd. So I got to get out there and, and get started. But his crowds were, were pretty great to me over the years.
0: Yeah, he's great. I met him so many years ago back in the 90s. I didn't realize it was him. The guy I was out with, I was shopping at Bed Bath and Beyond of all places, and I see Andrew Dice Clay. I didn't realize it was him because I'm in my own head at that time. And he's like, yeah, yeah. So I saw you on store and I'm like, yeah, okay. I just thought it was some creepy guy with leather on, like a leather (laughs) daddy type or something. And my friend's like, you don't know who that is. I'm like, dude, it's some creepy guy in leather, okay? And mind you, this is like 10 (laughs) minutes after meeting Kate Kalen. Uh, then he's like, that's Andrew Dice Clay. I went up to him after I'm like, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize it was you, but you, you're God. And I just like walked off. That was my only interaction <laughs> with him. I hope I get to be Andrew Dice Clay because I love his comedy. I, I just love how some of his stuff today will probably be unacceptable to the masses, but it's just something we need now. You know, we need more brashness in comedy and in the world because I think everyone's just so sensitive and just so you know, taking it, just so pulled back from everything. You go to a death metal show, right? You see the rainbow-haired mafia there, but I don't understand. How are you at a death metal show where we're talking about blood, guts, and gore, but yet you're so sensitive about the smallest thing? I don't understand. I just just don't get it. I I, I don't.
1: I don't either, but but I'm a big death metal fan too, and um, I guess I I probably haven't been to as many shows as you, but I, I, I haven't... I haven't seen that contingency at any of the shows I've been to, but you're right. It is a weird combination.
0: Yeah. It's like, I think the people, um, they get turned on to some degree or get fascinated by death and gory things like blood and guts and stuff. And because it's something they're going to be afraid to do. They're afraid to go out there and, you know, do things or be around that type of, uh, environment, I should say, Hmm. you know, we see them in wrestling all the time. They're just like, whatever, like who raised you? Uh, getting back to metal, <laughs> have you been to a lot of European festivals? And I think I know the answer already would be yes.
1: Well, I wouldn't say a lot, but um, I, you know, I've been to Hellfest a couple of times in France, which is to me, that's the, that's the Mac Daddy of all the European festivals. So, I mean, that, that the guy owns the land. So, you know, he just keeps building on it. You know, the other festivals you got to tear down at the end of the weekend, um but I've been to um I've been to Summer Breeze in Germany, I've been to Download in England, so yeah, I've been to a few. How about so you?
0: Been, a, a ton of them. The first one over there always is Inferno Festival, but the really cool one that's also historical is Midgards Blot in Norway. It's in northern Norway, it's called Midnight's Blood in English. But you'll have a Mana there this year. I think Watain is supposed to be there, but it's just very Viking themed and historical. Blood yeah. and soil, purity type of um, theme, which is right up my alley. So I love going to that. But, yeah, I love all the festivals. I notice that they run a lot better there than they are here. What are your thoughts on U.S. festivals versus Europe?
1: Um, I've been to some good ones, you know, here. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, maybe it's just, um, I, I mean, like it's the lineups – to me, it seemed better. Um, you know, that when I went to Hellfest, it, you know, it's three days. And the last, this is just the last day at night. Here's the lineup. Was, okay, it was um, Motorhead, Amon Marth, Megadeth, Slayer, Ghost, King Diamond and Black Sabbath. On Sunday? That was it. Right. Jesus um, Christ. That's one half of one day. So imagine three days of of that festival. It, it was just, it's just out of this world and you can't believe it. And then, you know, they have zip lines and they have a big Ferris wheel. Like I watched Sabbath from the top of the Ferris wheel. And they, uh, you know, they have that health fest. They have the giant Lemmy statue there now. And, you know, they have like, You know, the trees fell out hellfest in the branches and they have, you know, post-apocalyptic helicopters crashed into the trees and stuff. So, you know, I just think there's a little more, maybe the imagery and stuff over there is a a little bit more. And of course, you know, metal is much bigger in Europe.
0: Oh, yeah. And South America as well. That's why they call them satanic Hispanics, Uh, like death metal specifically and black metal. In Europe, it's a very big thing because in Scandinavia, the government actually gives you money to certain bands to just hone your craft more. I don't know if that's why sometimes we get better bands there. Do you think hair metal will actually ever make a comeback? Like, did you even actually, did you go to that stadium tour years ago in like 2001, 2002? It was Dokken, Poison. No, Dokken, Cinderella, and Poison. Did you see that?
1: No, I don't even remember that one, but... Um now, I, you know, and I didn't go see the stadium tour that they just did with Motley and and Poison and Def Leppard and Joan Jett. Not not that I wouldn't have, but it's sort of like I've seen all these bands in their prime, you know? I don't really don't really need to see them all again at this point. I mean, there's still, you know, like ACDC, I, I mean, I hope they go out and tour, and the last album was great, but to me, I saw the best ACDC concert ever in 2009, you know? So do I really... You know, do I really need to see these bands again, or do I want to kind of remember them, um, you know, the way that they were? Um, but I love the '80s. I mean, I'm still, I still, love, you know, I do the Monsters of Rock cruise every year, so that's all the '80s bands on there all the time. And and some are are really still great. You know, Winger's still great. Slaughter's still great. You know, um, you know, well, Kicks just retired, but you know, they were great up until the end. Tesla, you know, they're all still like playing great.
0: Yeah, I would want to see some of those bands. Again, I'd like to see Tesla. And uh, I've never seen Winger, but I've seen, I think I've seen, I saw Slaughter open up for Kiss once at the uh, Meadowlands when it was a thing going to shows there back then. Uh, I feel so dated now. Do you ever see 80s metal making a big comeback and possibly appealing to the younger generation? So I've never been one to try energy drinks for too long because they're always really um, sugary. They amp you up but I decided to try Tiger Life. That's T-I-G-E-R-L-Y-F-E. And no, it doesn't have anything to do with Joe Exotic. TigerLife.com. They have an amazing energy drink. Um, No sugar added. It's completely clean energy. It's made here in America. And they have a couple of really cool flavors. Um, It actually has cane sugar in it, which is pretty good, but zero sodium. So that means you will not get bloated. This definitely amps me up. Sometimes I do it when I... um, when I'm about to do my live stream or if I just need a boost in the middle of the day. So tiger life have some and make sure to put in the code Jasmine J A S M I N for free shipping. I mean, I think, I think it
1: has made a comeback in a lot of, like I said, you know, the, the the monsters cruise is is very popular. They do a land event. Um, a lot of, I see a lot of these bands out, you know, still tour and a lot of it's flyouts and stuff, but you know, they're making some decent money. I mean, um, one of the guys from Warren was telling me how much, you know, they get for weekend gigs. I was like, oh, man, you know, that's yeah. they, they still make good money. So they're, they're all still out there touring. You know, our friends in Faster Pussycat are still out on the road doing their thing and, you know, sounding great. So, um, you know, they're all out there making a living. But, you know, kind of like me they're maybe they fly a little under the radar.
0: Well, what's a week like for you anyway? Do you do comedy every weekend? And I know you have your show on compound media, that Jameson show, which yeah. is a lot of fun by the way, you should watch it. Unless yeah, you Yeah, which you've been on. Yes. What is your week like anyway? Do you do the comedy every weekend and yeah. just try to stay busy?
1: Yeah. I mean I do you know, I do regular club dates, obviously. And then, you know, I also go out and do and open for bands. So that's 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 also something I've done with a lot of 80s bands is going out and open for them on the road doing comedy because I've built a whole 30 minute direct support set that's just about music and bands and musicians. So, you know, that's a whole other part of my my touring world also, which is totally separate from my nightclub act. So if you come see me in in the nightclub, I'm not going to be talking about, you know, Winger and Faster Pussycat and Alice Cooper and Sabbath. You know, I'll be talking about regular stuff but if you come see me open for a band, that's what I'm going to be talking about. I'm going to be talking about Lemmy. I'm going to be talking about Metallica. You know, I'm going to be talking about Thin Lizzy, you know, this, because we all have a common language in that world that, you know, a lot of people outside of it don't know.
0: Were there any bands that you remember learning about back when like hair metal and all these like German bands were coming over, were there some bands that stand out to you that a lot of people didn't know about? Like you, Sado what, what, or anyone like that? Who? Sado, S-A-D-O. Remember they had the album Dirty Fantasies and it had the blonde um, school teacher in S&M clothes and the little... Do you remember this album at all?
1: I Vaguely. But but you know <laughs> what? My, my, my take on it is, is like every band sort of got to the level that they probably should have.
0: Yeah, that's a fair way to look at it.
1: You know, I mean... The, there were some bands obviously that that were bigger in Europe and so they stay there and they concentrate on that. And if they come to America, they play a small club and then there's bands that couldn't make it in America who had to go overseas to make it, like you know, like twisted sister, you know, I had to go to England and um and that's where they broke once again, thanks to our friend Lemmy, who told the crowd, listen, these guys are coming out in you know, basically in drag, but they're, they're <laughs> great and you better listen to them and not give them any shit. And and that's what broke Twisted Sister. So, you know, it's just, um, you know, even Guns N' Roses doesn't really, they don't, there's certain parts of the world, they just, they don't play, you know? Van Halen never played in Europe, ever. Really? A few times, but well, nothing no, like the States. Rock.
0: Monsters huh? of Rock Monsters of rock they played at in 83 or 84. I still yeah. have my baseball jersey. I don't... Yeah, 83.
1: Yeah, they did some stuff, but they, they basically just toured the States.
0: Interesting. That's so wild. I had no idea. You're like a plethora of knowledge <laughs> on anything and everything 80s metal. I just worked at a metal record store in the 90s, so I remember seeing like the Sato album cover, Hitman, with the two Ts, Hitman. Um... What was the other band? Brighton Rocks. There was another weird band that I just could not wrap my head around the name of them, but I just came across the album D- Overdrive*.
1: So you go yeah. deep, jazz. Yes. I mean, there there was a the band I opened for from the '80s who, um, you know, they they were great. I loved touring with them and everything. But people always go, wow, oh, man, they're still going, but why weren't they bigger?" And and I go, ah, you know. The truth is, comp- you know, relative to all the bands that they came up with, they're, you know, they were kind of mediocre, you know? Um, so I think bands just, they get where where they're gonna get and, you know, that's where they land. But to me, I'm like you, I, I, you know, I don't care if they've made one record, if they've ever toured here or whatever. If, if I like it, I like it. They don't have to be huge. In fact, I almost prefer that they're not. You know when bands get too big, we sort of get ah oh, now everybody knows about this band and it's it sort of takes their the fun out of it, but um but yeah, it's listen it's a, you know it's a tough business, it's brutal,
0: yeah, I think it's gotten worse over the years and tougher now with uh, the whole yeah. age of you know the internet uh you were you one of those guys that thought poison was a bunch of hot chicks?
1: <laughs> well, I always did that joke in my act where you know, I said, I bought this album by this female band and they were so hot. I didn't even listen to it. I masturbated for two weeks straight until I realized it was the first Poison album. And then Everybody. I only masturbated to it once in a while after that.
0: Oh, yeah. To which one? To Cece? Or to which one? <laughs> to Ricky? I think Cece looked like the hottest. Brett Michaels looked like a hot woman. Like, I don't care what anyone says. He looked like the hottest chick that sounds so weird on the album cover at that yeah. point.
1: Well, that was what was going on at the time. I mean, even look, look at Motley, the, the the inside sleeve of Shout It to Devil. It was like, who are these chicks?
0: Well, got news for you, they're not chicks. Uh, well, chicks with dicks, possibly. So tell us what you have going on over the next few weeks, and um, also when we could expect another album from you.
1: Yeah, the album should come out like uh, March or April, um, and it's a whole Motorhead theme. It's called No Sleep Till McSorley's which is uh, my favorite drinking establishment in New York City. And I decided to record my album there. Um, and it was so much fun. And, I, you know, I got permission from Todd Singerman to use the Motorhead font and, and use the front cover of No Sleep Till Hammersmith as my cover. And I photoshopped myself into it. And Phil Campbell did the guitar intro and outro for me. So it's a whole Motorhead theme in terms of the, the look and the packaging, you know not the content. It's not an hour of motorhead jokes. Although I'd love to put out an hour of motorhead jokes, but, um, but so that'll be out in the spring. And then, um, yeah, just, you know, people can follow me on my socials, um, at real Don Jameson on Twitter, Don Jameson official on Instagram and Facebook. I post all my dates, new year's Eve in Nashville. I got Key West coming up. I'm going out with Dizzy Reed and the Hookers and Blow. We're going to be up in the Pacific Northwest. So, you know, doing the comedy club stuff, the band stuff, and whatever else comes up, you know, in between.
0: Sounds like fun. Sounds like a party. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much. It's, uh, I will be following you. Oh, did you, do you get a lot of chuckle fuckers that come to the shows?
1: What <laughs> is that, is that are those comedy groupies? I've never heard Ooh. that.
0: No, it's, it's a term. It's it's Yo, a big. Oh wow!
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I don't. Mm, yeah, yeah, occasionally, but <laughs> you know, it's mostly couples that come to comedy shows. So, but yeah, every once in a while, there's there's that odd one standing in the corner, kind of waiting. But you know, it's uh, it, it ain't it ain't like Motley Crue in in '83. Trust me on that. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> you know, well, maybe once or twice a year, you get somebody who's kind of lurking around, but um, it's all good.
0: And if they want to watch you on Compound Media on That Jam- that Jameson Show, what day of the week is that and what time?
1: Tuesdays at 7 o'clock Eastern Time, and um, I will also email you about hopefully coming back on soon.
0: Oh, absolutely. I love that show. I think it's great, and I, l- I like the beer you get. Even though I'm not a beer drinker, the beer there is perfect. So yes, it's one of the best of Shows, if you like booze as well, and metal. It's two great things in life. Uh, Thanks so much for coming on today. And it was a pleasure seeing you without the mullet. And uh, we'll see you soon.
1: (laughs) Thanks. I appreciate it, Jazz. And thank you, Andrew.
0: And that wraps it up for another episode of Crazy Train Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Do not forget to rate and review my podcast on Apple, on Spotify, or wherever you may listen to this podcast. Take a screenshot and DM it to me so I could send you a free goodie bag. Now, most importantly, every Monday at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Time, 8.30 p.m., eastern time if you tune into my youtube page it's just crazy train podcast there is a live stream where you can interact with me or my guests it's called off the rails So it's off the rails every single monday yes even on holidays 8 30 p.m eastern 5 30 p.m pacific time thank you